Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to Sun Valley. We believe in growing faith, building community, and in the hope of Jesus. Uh, you know, today we're continuing with our, with our series called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of, of Jesus. And, and this is a series where we're exploring some of the major and minor writings of the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And so throughout this journey of the Bible, we're discovering and we're uncovering this incredible and radical love of Jesus. And so this week, we are taking our second look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And so Ecclesiastes is one of five books of, of the Bible that are considered the wisdom literature. And so the other four books in the wisdom literature uh, are, are the book of Job, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of Songs. And so these five books, these five books of the wisdom literature, they address and they deal with the human experience. They deal with real life struggles, with life outside of the Garden of Eden, life in a world of sin. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we looked at why the teacher, why Solomon declares everything hevel. So he uses this word multiple times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's actually uh, the word that is used most often in the entire Bible. It's mo- most often used in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's this word that he uses, a Hebrew word called hevel. And so this word hevel means meaningless. It means transitory. It means unsatisfactory. And, and the origin of the word is kind of meaning breath. And so the idea that Solomon is portraying is that everything is hevel. It is meaningless. It is a puff of breath fleeting and going. And so the book of Ecclesiastes really is meant to be a deconstruction of our worldview. It deconstructs the ideas and the ideas that that purpose and happiness can be found in the things of the world, because that's often what the world points to, right? That happiness and enjoyment and contentment can be found in buying things and in living experiences. But Solomon kind of tries to deconstruct that with the book of Ecclesiastes, saying that we cannot find purpose in things. And this book of Ecclesiastes, it tears apart the notion that we can find that satisfaction in things. And instead, it shifts us to see that we can actually find satisfaction in God, that only, that only God can give us purpose, that our purpose and our contentment, our enjoyment can only be found in God. And so today I want to look at Ecclesiastes again, and we're going to see at how Solomon advises us to live in this world, to live in the midst of heaven, because it's pretty heavy. Ecclesiastes can be a really heavy book. It says that everything is meaningless, and if you read the book, it can at times be depressing. So the question is, how do we live in the midst of this meaningless, meaninglessness? How do we live in the midst of what Solomon calls heaven? And so we start with Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll be jumping around a couple places here today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4 should be available on the screen for you here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, Again, I looked and I saw all of the oppression that was taking place under the sun. So that I saw tears of the oppressed and they that have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living. He says, those who are, who are still alive don't have as much happiness as those who are dead. He says, the dead are happier than the living, those who are alive. But he says, but better than both, better than the one who is alive, better the, than the one who has lived but is now dead. He says, better than both is the one who has never been born. That's a pretty heavy statement. 
says, the one who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Again, he says in verse 7, I saw something meaningless under, under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? For whom am I working? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon brings to account his experiences, his experiences in the world, that, that, that he finds that everything is utterly and completely meaningless. And so here Solomon sees the injustice that is done in the world. He sees the injustice that people in positions of power carry out, this lack of accountability, a lack of punishment for those who are perverting justice. And, and he says, this is meaningless. He says, the, the systems that are in place to protect us are actually exploiting us. He says, this is unsatisfactory, transitory. Cannot put our trust in those things. And then he says this, the second part of chapter four that we read here. He says he sees a, a man that is toiling or that is working under the sun and he's working to build himself up, right? He's working to accumulate wealth. He's working to make a name for himself. But it says, and this is a big part of this text. He says, unfortunately, this man has neither sons, not even a brother to leave these riches behind. And in chapter two, we read this last time. In chapter two, Solomon talks about how meaningless it is to work hard to then have to leave your wealth, your riches, your experience to fools who will squander and ruin everything that you've worked for. And but here he's observing now, this man doesn't even have fools to leave his stuff behind to. He says, despite all this careful work, despite all the planning, despite all the hard work that this man has put into his job, into his life, he has no one to leave behind his hard-earned riches to Solomon says this is meaningless. And so there seems to be a commonality, a common point between the many things that Solomon sees as meaningless, as unsatisfactory, as hevel, as he puts it. You see, Solomon sees all that this man has carefully planned for. He sees all that this man has diligently plotted, and he sees that all of these plans and all of these plots go to ruin. He sees people spend all of their time laboring and struggling and working to exhort, to exert some sort of semblance of control over their short lives. But he says all of this amounts to hevel, amounts to meaninglessness. He said it's only transitory. It's all fully unsatisfactory. It is all meaningless. And so here's our very first lesson today. Our first lesson from our reading is this. Life is out of your control. Life is out of our control. Part of the reason that Solomon sees everything as meaningless is because regardless of what we do or regardless of what we gain or accumulate, we will never, ever be able to bend life to our will, right? He says that death comes for both. He says death comes for both the foolish and the wise. It comes for the weak and for the powerful. It comes for both the poor and the rich. And he says we can work as hard as we want, but still the unexpected happens. Have you guys ever had anything unexpected happen to you? Maybe this year has been unexpected, 2020, right? And he says we can work as hard as we want, but still the unexpected 
happens. Still, there are things that remain beyond our control, beyond our reach. And overall, the point that Solomon makes is that without God at the center of all things, all of our hard work and all of our efforts is nothing more than a puff of breath. It is nothing more than hevel, than meaningless, unsatisfactory, or transitory. He says, the man who has planned his life out completely, who has worked out for everything, who has worked hard for all the things that he has, he says, he's left without an heir, without inheritance to inherit this fortune. Life was out of this man's control. He observes this man. He says, for all that he had worked hard for, for all that he had tried, there was nothing that this man could do to exert control over his, over his circumstances. He couldn't gain for himself a brother. He couldn't force himself to have a brother. And, and I'm sure as much as this man had tried, he just couldn't have kids. He didn't have sons, not even daughters perhaps to leave his wealth to. All of these things were beyond this man's control. And so Solomon says, see, all of this hard work, all of this work, all of the stuff that he has struggled for and planned and plotted, all of it is hevel because it goes to no one. And so there are things that are, that are beyond our control in life. I'm sure you've experienced some of them. There are things that as much as you want to exert your dominance over those things, as much as you want to bend the circumstances or the world around you to fit your needs, to fit your wants, there are things that are beyond our control. There are things that we will never have the authority to dictate or manipulate to our liking as much as we would like it to be. And at some point, we have to understand that we have to accept the hand that we're dealt. We have to accept sometimes whatever this chaotic life throws at us. And I don't want you to think that I mean just accept everything, lay down and give up. That's not what I'm saying. I firmly believe that you can make the best out of a bad situation. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe you can make the best out of a bad situation? I hope you would, right? Because there's a lot of bad situations going on around you right now. And I hope that you would believe you can make the best out of a bad situation. But in order to make the best out of a bad situation, you first have to accept the bad situation. You guys follow that? In order to make the best out of a bad situation, you first have to accept the bad situation. We will never find, we will never be able to find satisfaction in life if we are constantly trying to exert control over every little detail of our lives. We will never be happy in life if we're always trying to control every aspect of it. You know, one of my favorite prayers is the prayer of serenity. And it's often associated with a prayer of sobriety. Some of you might be familiar with, with this prayer. It's a prayer written by this theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. And you may be familiar with the first part of the prayer. So we're reading the first part of the prayer. The first part of the prayer says this, Grant me, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can, but the wisdom to know the difference. You guys are familiar with, some of you are familiar, right? It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This right here, this is the lesson that Solomon wants us to learn, that there are things that we can change. There are things that we must change, Solomon says. There are things that God, and the whole Bible teaches us this, that there are things that God is calling us to change. There are things that God wants us to bring about restoration, reformation to. We can work and we can change all of these racist, sexist, and prejudicial powers and policies. We can hold them accountable. We can work to create a world of equity and equal opportunity. We can work to create a world of love and accept
expectance, we can work to create a world of peace and forgiveness, there are things that we can and in fact should change. That fact is never in question. But there are also things that we have no power over, right? There are things that we have no power over, and those are the things that we must accept. We can work to bring healing in the pain, We can work to bring good out of the bad. We must first accept the inevitability that there will be pain and evil in this world. A world that is awaiting the full healing and cleansing of Jesus. Until that time comes, there will always be pain and evil. We have to accept that. And then we can work from that point on. Once we accept that, we can work to make things better. So we can pray for the courage to change the things that we can but also the courage to accept the things that we cannot change. And then we pray for God to give us the peace to accept all those little things that we don't have the power to control, that we don't have the power to have dominance over, and accept those little things, those little nuances or or, or difficulties in life. And, And that's when happiness can begin. That's what Solomon really wants to get to in Ecclesiastes. That's when happiness can begin, when we when we accept that life is out of our control. That's when happiness begins. So let's jump to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 7, should be available there for you. It says this, Since no one knows the future, Ecclesiastes 8, 7, who can tell someone else what is to come? It says no one knows the future. And no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of death. And as no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Verse 15, so, he's highlighting, right? Verse 8, we're we're nearing, in chapter 8, we're nearing the end of Ecclesiastes and he's highlighting everything is meaningless. Everything is hevel. Everything is unsatisfactory, transitory, nothing but a puff of breath. So verse 15, so, so I commend the enjoyment of life. This is his advice to you. I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad, and then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. So Solomon shares, he says, this, he says the future is unknown. Things are out of your control. You can't control death. You can't drink some magic elixir and be saved for the rest of your life. It doesn't work like that. But what are his conclusions to these thoughts in chapter 8? He says, he commends the enjoyment of life because out of all of the meaningless things that we can pursue, there is nothing better for a person under the sun, he says, than to eat and drink and be glad. And he says, when we do that, when we do that, joy will accompany us during all of the days of our lives, during all the toil of the days of our lives. And so Solomon advises us this, and here's our second lesson for today. This is Solomon's advice. Enjoy the good. Enjoy the good. This is how you live under heaven. Enjoy the good. Part of what Solomon found so meaningless in life was this endless pursuit to fill this insatiable hole in our heart with things, right? 
Solomon says we always want more. We want these things. We want these experiences. And so he says this is what makes life meaningless. When we are constantly working to fill our heart with things and are left unsatisfied because only God can fill that void. That's what he says. So he says when, we all, when all we focus on is gaining more, then we become cursed with never truly having enough. Did you hear that? When all we focus on is gaining more, we become cursed with never truly having enough. When all we focus on is trying to get what we don't have, then we fail to see and appreciate all that we do have. And so the second part of this prayer uh, by, uh, of serenity by Ryan Hull, the full prayer says this. The first half we read it, right? It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is the second part of it. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he, as Jesus did, this sin, sinful world not as it, as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. That's what he says. See, the rest of the prayer of Reinhold focuses on accepting that life is out of our control, but finding the joy in the good, finding the peace in what comes our way, knowing that joy comes with acceptance and supreme joy, he says, comes with Jesus. This is precisely the point that Solomon is trying to make, something that he repeats numerous times throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. He suggests that people enjoy what they have. He says, eat and drink and be glad. He says, enjoy all that God has given you. He says, eat, drink, find joy in the work of your hands. Let everything you do be centered around worshiping and honoring God. And when you learn to find joy in all of this, when you learn to find joy in what you have, then joy will continue to accompany you all the days of your life that God has given you under the sun. That's what Solomon says. So when we read this, we can't forget this crucial lesson that Solomon wants us to learn through the entirety of the book, that everything finds meaning when it's centered in God. So when we find our meaning and our purpose centered in God, then we can begin to find joy in the things that we already have. And when we find joy in the things that we already have, Solomon says that joy continues to follow us. Everything finds meaning only when it's centered in God. And so his advice is this. He says, eat and drink and be glad. Because all of that, joy, because joy and happiness takes its root in God. And Paul actually says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, whatever you do and everything that you do, he says, whether it's eating or whether it's drinking, Paul says, do it all to the glory of God. He's on the same wavelength as Solomon. He says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, because when you enjoy what you already have, then joy continues to follow you. And the order of things here is important because Solomon says, that you do all of these things to be glad. And once you are glad, once you find joy in what you already have, then joy continues to accompany you for the rest of your life. See, he, he says that endlessly worrying about tomorrow only robs today of its joy. You hear that? Endlessly worrying about tomorrow only robs today of its joy. Endlessly working to gain more, but never gaining enough robs us of today's joy. Always being focused on what you don't have robs you of today's joy. Solomon says that to have joy tomorrow, find joy today. Because we're always searching for joy tomorrow, right? 
That's what we work for, for the next thing. But Solomon says this, to find joy tomorrow, find joy today. Look for joy. Look for the good. Find reason to praise, to rejoice, to be exuberantly happy. And the beautiful thing about the Savior that we, that we worship, the beautiful thing about God is that when you actually begin to start looking for those reasons to praise, God will give you infinitely more reasons to praise. Amen? I believe that. And so you begin to see God's blessing in everything that you do and you participate in, and you begin to see God working all around you. So you find the beauty in the simplicity of today. You disconnect yourself from the worries of tomorrow, and you find rest in what God wants you to find. You disconnect yourself from the endless struggle to control life's circumstances, and you find joy in what you have today. And you see, we can focus on all the bad things that happen in our life. We can focus on everything that goes wrong. We can focus on all that we miss out on or all that we lose, but you'll find joy by focusing on the good, by focusing on what has gone right, by focusing on what you already currently have. Enjoy the good. And I want to be clear, because this by no means excuses us and allows us to ignore injustice or evil in the world. Focusing on the good does not mean that we excuse and ignore the bad, right? Because the rest of the Bible strongly emphasizes that it is our job as children of God to challenge corruption, to challenge injustice, to challenge prejudice and evil in the world. And that's something that I'm really excited to touch on when we focus on the book of Isaiah a little later, later down the road. But Jesus emphasized that it is our Christian duty as followers of Jesus to be light into the world, a light that is shining through the darkness and the evil and the chaos. And in the same speech, in the same sermon, Jesus says that we are to be the salt of the earth, changing this corrupted and evil flavor of the world around us. And then Jesus prays. He prays that his followers would fight to ensure that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So the whole idea of enjoying the good is not to be in opposition or in contrast with recognizing and fighting against evil and injustice, but rather enjoying the good is a challenge to break away from the worldly patterns of insatiable discontentment and find joy in what God is currently doing in your life. Because the world always wants to point you to what you don't have, right? That's what social media does. But the challenge here is to find joy in what you actually already have. So while we may be tempted to look at our circumstances and be thoroughly discontented with what's going on in our world, we instead look for good and enjoy the good. That's, that's what Solomon advises us. So for our final lesson, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, just two verses, verses 18 and 19. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 and 19 says this, this is what I have observed to be good. So he's repeating the same ideology that he had, he had spoken of in chapter 8. This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their assignment. This is their lot. Moreover, he says, verse 19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept what they have and be happy in their work, in their toil, Solomon says, this is a gift of God. So Solomon is repeating what he shares multiple times throughout the book, the same idea that we looked at in chapter 8 for our second lesson. And he shares one additional thing in, in chapter 5. He says that when God blesses you, 
When God gives you blessings and then gives you the ability to be happy with all that he has given you, that is also a gift from God. So our final lesson today, our third lesson is this. Joy is a gift from God. You see, God's gifts are good. And God gifts all that is good. So what Solomon says to us is that the ability to be content with what we have, the ability to find the good, the ability to be at peace with our circumstances and to enjoy life itself, that is also a gift from God. So we often think that God's gifts are improvements on what we have right? They're additions to what we have. And I certainly believe that God gives those kinds of gifts. I believe that. But God's gifts also include peace in the middle of the storm, right? God's gifts also include hope in the middle of darkness. God's gifts include contentment and joy in the middle of all that we already have. God not only blesses us both with the ordinary and the extraordinary, but he also blesses us with the ability to enjoy those things. And what we often do, however, is we forgo that gift of joy and we trade it for stress and worry. We often trade God's joy for discontentment and dissatisfaction. We often trade God's joy for jealousy and envy. We give up the gift of God's joy, the one that he freely gives us, when all we focus on is the things that we don't have but think that we need. Did you hear that? We trade away this gift of God's joy when all we focus on is the things that we don't have but think we need. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we begin to close. You know, we can spend our entire lives struggling to gain more, but satisfaction comes in, in being satisfied and content with all that we already have. Satisfaction in what we do have is a gift from God. That's what Solomon says. But if we can't learn, if we can't learn to be content with what we already have, we may never learn to be content if we gain more, right? If we can't be content with what God has already given us, we might never be content if we gain more. It may become an endless cycle for us, a chasing of the wind, like Solomon says, completely and utterly meaningless, transitory, unsatisfactory, hevel. But where life finds meaning is seeing God in everything. Life finds meaning in accepting our lot and being happy in our work. Life finds meaning in not focusing on what we don't have, but rather focusing on what we do have. Life finds meaning in accepting that gift of God's joy because joy is a gift from God. You see, when we free ourselves from attempting to mold life into our expectations, then we can take the time to appreciate the gifts that God has already given. But in order to do that, we must first accept that life is out of our control. We cannot exert our dominance over life. We don't get to dictate how things go or shape life to our will. There are things that are beyond our control. But as long as we continue to try to mold life to our expectations, we will always be dissatisfied. It is only when we let go of trying to control everything in our lives that we can begin to truly appreciate life. 
While there are things that are certainly within our power to change in our lives and in the world around us, we must also recognize that there are things that we are powerless to change. We can learn to live with this hevel, with this meaninglessness, when we accept that there are certain things in life that we cannot control. And when we do that, when we do it, it leaves room for us to enjoy the good. You see, life will be out of our control, and we can choose to focus on the bad and on the negative, or we can find joy in all the good that God already gives us. If all we focus on is what we don't have, if all we focus on is what we don't have, then we fail to see all that we already have. See, some of God's greatest blessings are not just in the new things that he gives us, but rather in continuing to provide the things that we already have. God has been tremendously good in our lives. I believe that. And if we aren't seeing that, it might be because we're focusing on the wrong thing. See, the ability to be content with all that we have is a gift from God. You see, joy is a gift from God. And you might be familiar with Philippians chapter 4.13, right? It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But just before that, Paul says a couple of other things. Verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances. That's what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have in plenty. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether it's well-fed, or whether it's hungry, whether it's living in plenty or in want, because I know the secret to being content with anything. And the secret is, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul says this, Paul says the secret to being happy in every circumstances and and, and whatever situation you find yourself in, Paul says the secret to being happy in everything is to rely on Jesus who strengthens us. And then Solomon says, to properly live with Hevel, to properly live with the chaos and the meaninglessness of this world is to live in contentment in all that we do have. So we combine those two thoughts. The best way to live in this world is to live in joy of what we have and to find joy in what we have, regardless of situations or circumstances, we need to rely on Jesus. So the best way to live in this world, both Paul and Solomon say, is to rely on Jesus and receive the gift of God's joy. We can stop trying to find meaning and purpose in things and instead find meaning and purpose in Jesus. We can stop trying to mold life to our expectations and instead be content in Jesus. So the best way to live is to live with joy. And joy is a gift from God. Amen.
Has your prayer. God, we are so incredibly grateful for this love that you continue to give and pour out to us freely. God, we know that life is chaotic. We know that life is unexpected. We know that life is sometimes disappointing. And God, I just pray that you would help us to learn to live with this hevel, to learn to live with this meaninglessness, this unsatisfactoriness, this transitoriness that Solomon talks about. Help us to know and to to accept that there are things that are going to be out of our control. God, give us the knowledge and the wisdom to know when there are things that we can control. Give us the courage to change those things, but also the courage to accept the things that we cannot control. God, help us to enjoy the good. Help us to see your work in absolutely everything. Help us to center our lives around you, to be able to see the blessings that you pour out for us every single day. I know that you are blessing us, God, and if we aren't seeing it, it might be because we're focusing on the wrong thing. So help us to focus on you. Help us to focus on your love and on your goodness. And God, I just pray that you would give us that gift of joy that you would help us, like Paul says, to be content in any circumstances, relying on Christ who gives us strength. So God, I just pray that you would help us to enjoy the good and to find that gift of God's joy that we might spread it to others and help others find their joy in you as well. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. virtual camp meetings. They're going to hope we will meet everyone online and that will be happening on Wednesday, July 29th to August 1st. So mark your calendars and we hope to see you online at that time. Um, if you're visiting us today for the first time or if you're watching us online for the first time, we want to get to know you. Uh, so when you come here, feel free to come join us at the front. We have a free gift for you and we would love to uh, get to know you a little bit more as well. Uh, we're inviting all the youth to a fun night of games, and that will be happening August 15th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, we'll have a bonfire, lots of food, lots of games, so it will be fun. And lastly, if you want to join us online, feel free to register. Um, if you want to join us here, um, feel free to register online. Uh, you can get tickets through our website. Uh, it is completely free, and there's nothing like being here with everyone. Uh, we know that the Lord is here, so we want to see you in person. Uh, so again, make sure that you register. The service starts at 11 a.m., so be here a little bit early. And as always, if you're feeling a little bit sick, make sure you stay at home and, and be safe. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, so you can register online. There's links on our website and on our newsletter as well. Um, just one, one final announcement as well. Oh, the, the summer bonfire will be at the Lawn's house. Uh, so if you're looking for, for address or directions or more details, feel free to contact me. Uh, but we are having a guest speaker coming August 15. Uh, he is uh, Ben Amoa. He is the chaplain of Fraser Valley Adventist Academy. He's also the host of the Oracle podcast, a fantastic podcast. If you want to give that a listen. Uh, so you don't want to miss uh, Ben Amoa. He's going to be coming on August 15th. He'll be sharing uh, the message here. So 
So make sure you grab your tickets when they're available. They'll be available a week in advance. Uh, all of our service tickets are available just a week in advance. So make sure you, you come in person. You're going to want to be able to uh, listen to that message in person. I know you're going to be blessed. Uh, and as well, uh, uh, tithing and offering. Uh, none of this would have been possible without your generous donations, uh, whether it's the live stream equipment or the sound stream uh, equipment or the, or the cameras and all this stuff. wouldn't be possible without your generous donations. So if you'd like to continue to support uh, and give, you can give through, through AdventistGiving.ca. You can give online um, and support that way. And so we just ask that you would continue to uh, give online. If you are here in person and would like to give, uh, we have our, our offering baskets at the very back. You can drop either loose offerings or you can grab some tithe of loose available there. Uh, and we'll collect it after the service, after everything has been completely disinfected. Uh, but before our ushers dismiss you row by row, by row uh, I just want to leave you with this final benediction. Um, may the God who is giving us the gift of joy May the God who gives us the strength to be content in any and every circumstance, the God who is working all around us to bring restoration and peace and healing and justice, may the God who is calling us to be an agent of change in the world, may the God who is calling us to be an agent of joy in the world, may that God bless you and guide you. May you have a wonderful rest of your Sabbath, a wonderful rest of your weekend, and we thank you so much for joining us here in person and online. We hope to see you again next week. Amen.